Hello, my name is John Hendren, and this is BachCast. In this edition, we are going to be listening to one of Bach's English suites. Right now, we're listening to Richard Egar perform the sixth of Bach's English suites in D minor, BWV 811. So Bach wrote keyboard suites, and he published a few of them. He he got them out there. The most famous is his set of the so-called six partitas, which were keyboard suites. And others were not published. Um, specifically, the English and French suites were passed down, um, but not official releases by Bach in the, in the, in the way that, for instance, uh, probably the most famous uh, Baroque composer in terms of publishing was Vivaldi, who had his various opuses. Um, the most famous, perhaps, being Opus Three, Lesto Romanico. And when it was published by these firms, it, it got wide. Uh, you know, it, it went beyond the borders that these composers lived. And so Bach, uh, as a composer, knew of Vivaldi's works because they had been published and distributed. Well, we have two sets of keyboard suites, each six, and they're known as the French suites and the English suites. We've unfortunately applied these titles to the um, the suites. However, I don't think there is anything particularly English about them. Uh, there are several explanations of why they have had this name. Uh, but uh, as some commentators have said, these set of six suites uh, are particularly French in nature and not uh, in particular anything to do with English. Uh, they may have been written for an English patron or they may have uh, surfaced in England. But um, despite the title, they are a set. And it, with my interpretation... I actually like the English suites better than the French suites. I think they are um, perhaps more mature. Uh, they've got better ideas. Maybe better polished would be the way to describe it. The sixth one is in the key of D minor, and it is composed of a very long prelude. Uh, prelude is sort of an open form. Uh, composers using this title could do almost anything, and Bach... Uh, kind of does something interesting. Uh, I tend to think as I listen to the prelude, which you just heard uh, from the Harmonia Mundi release of Richard Egar, um, he, he does this weird thing and he almost presents a toccata as his prelude. And a toccata uh, was... Uh, from the Italian was a warm-up piece and Bach sort of gives us that. It starts slow and then as the piece picks up, it goes fugal. And the only place that I can really put my finger on that Bach has done that before is in his set of seven toccatas. And Bach being Bach, his, when we use the word toccata and we're talking about the, the pieces for two hands, um, that is something kind of unique to Bach, uh, where he will perhaps have a French overture style and then go into a fugal passage. So we get that with the start of this uh, sixth suite. And then we go to an Allemande 
which is uh, typical. A courant, which is a faster dance, which is typical. Uh, a sarabande. So a sarabande is a slow dance, but he gives us not just one, but two. So um, depending on which recording you're going uh, listening to, it may be listed differently in the track listing, how it's been chopped up in the CD. But the sarabande is, has its uh, sarabande and a, a double. Uh, or a double, uh, meaning that um, it is rewritten with some extras, and typically they're more florid, they're more um, elaborate. And then there is a pair of gavots. The gavot, uh, as a dance, tends to be uh, very different from the sarabande. And so, as uh, I read recently, they were thought to refresh the spirit after the, the slow sarabons. And then we end with a jig. And that is, again, there's nothing on the surface of this suite that appears um, special. Um, these dances, these labels could be used by any number of composers from the era or even a generation before. What we have, however, are some really uh, special things. And uh, what's interesting to me is the, the weight that's placed in terms of a suite in the, on the prelude, uh, which is a big piece. And uh, it can range anywhere between seven minutes and something to over nine minutes and something beyond perf different performers. And Richard Egard uh, clocks in at 9.15. Uh, which is one of the longer ones that I have access to. And so, um, be what it may, uh, the one thing I love about Richard Egar's performance uh, in general and his his recording career has been with Harmonia Mundi, they, they do an excellent job at the sonics and the sound quality. And Egar picks good instruments he has his preferences, but um, I, I think it sounds very good. Uh, it perhaps is not my favorite overall performance, uh, but it's one definitely worth checking out. Uh, checking out my notes here, this recording was made back in 2011, so it's had a little bit, uh, excuse me, it was recorded in 2011, it was released in 2012 uh, at the end of that year. And so... It's about seven years old, or give or take, and uh, um, good solid, good solid performance on the harpsichord, and uh, it's worth checking out. But I want to uh, again look at this this prelude and give you perhaps my my favorite uh, interpretations, and remind everybody that this is subjective, um, as much as we could go into. Uh, the nuances of performance and how these pieces, uh, in particular from a historical perspective, are performed. Uh, at the end of the day, the recordings that I'm presenting here in Bachcast are those that I really, I just like. And I'll tell you why. And you can disagree with me. And my hope, as always, is that as you listen, you discover maybe some, some nuances, some things you hadn't heard before. And maybe you pick up on a few performances that you like in listening to this podcast. So I'm starting with Richard Egar, but we're going to go straight um, 
to the jig. The jig is a uh, interesting piece in that it is uh, it can be formed performs more slowly or more quickly, and it is a technical uh, hurdle. <laughs> it's a, it's 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 not easy to play, and one of the reasons it's difficult. Uh, is that it has these long suspended trills. And if you can imagine one hand is trilling and the other is playing a very rhythmically um, diverse line and uh, the, the execution of that together can, can prove to be um, an interesting uh, challenge for different performers. Um, one of my favorite piano renditions, which I'll play in a few moments, um, you can sort of almost detect that technical hurdle uh, in the performer's performance. So um, keep in mind uh, that there are this is this is this is high art. This is, these pieces are difficult to perform. This is not, uh, despite what Bach may have thought in composing these, uh, I take it that he composed these at a at the virtuoso level, not at the, this is not the same music that he put, for instance, into the uh, notebook for Anna Magdalena Bach uh, to teach her or his family, uh, you know, the inventions, for instance, the two-part inventions were written as, as teaching pieces. And of course, we stand back and go, wow, as teaching pieces, these are pretty profound. To me, the English suites are, are polished pieces that were being prepared by Bach to be on the world stage. And why he did not include them or see to them being published, who knows? But uh, I, I think in the, the exploration, at least of the sixth one here, uh, that you will find that it is uh, still very profound music. So the jig, the ending piece, uh, the end of the suite, and this one is, to me, captures the flavor of this suite. Uh, it almost, I'm going to put a word in here and you may disagree with me, but I almost, it sounds demonic. Um, this is, you know, if, if Bach was ever being badass, he's, it comes out in this uh, last movement of the suite. And I think uh, this jig in particular is great for comparing different performances. And so first we're going to listen to one which I think is, is one of the strongest performances on harpsichord. Uh, I am rarely disappointed by this individual, uh, this performer, and uh, one of my favorite harpsichord performances, as you'll hear here, is from Pierre Hantai. <laughs> Elements that are brought together here for me are the tempo. I think it's a perfect tempo. Uh, the recorded sound is excellent. Um, 
Pierantai's recording of this comes on the Mirare label. Uh, it was recorded in 2014 and released in October 2014. And it's a unique album in that's not the complete English suites, but there are a couple of, of odd pieces in here and then uh, the Italian concerto along with two of the English suites, number two and number six. Um, Parentai, of course, um, is from a musical family. I have admired his recordings for many, many years. I've got to see him perform in person, uh, and I think his command of this piece shows off his technical virtuosity, but also um, he, he just gets the spirit of the music, I think. Um, of course, very subjective, right? Well, we're going to compare that. Um, and what's important when we look at the jig in particular is that tempo and how performers decide to grapple with it. Uh, Hentai comes in at 3 minutes and 51 seconds. And that would be sort of our benchmark. In the next performance, uh, also on harpsichord, uh, you'll find that the performer decides to push it even faster. If you, if you didn't think that was fast enough, there is a performer out there that attempts to take it even faster. Let's listen to this recording again of The Jig from Box 6th English Suite. <laughs> recording comes from a harpsichordist that may not be as common a, a household name as Pierre Hantai. This is Paolo Zanzu on the harpsichord and this was released just this year in April of 2020. Um, all of Bach's six English suites and his, uh, his performance is, is fleeting and uh, I'll say that it, it clocks in just a hair over three minutes for the jig. Again, comparing to Hantai, which is about a minute more. Um, and altogether, he is pushing tempo, which I think it sometimes is refreshing to hear. For me, in this case, um, the sound of the harpsichord is excellent. It is a, uh, it's an his, historic reconstruction that, um, I really admire, uh, and so the sound of that is great. There are some moments in the prelude which I think are great, but overall, uh, I think he pushes the tempo a little bit too much for my taste, but if you like things fiery and you like things at the extreme, check out Paolo Zanzu, uh, sort of a, a younger uh, harpsichordist. I don't know a lot about him. I'm gonna actually open uh, the booklet while we're here. This is on the Musica Ficta label. And uh, the harpsichord is a German model. Uh, it's tuned down to 405 hertz. And it's based on a model made by the Silbermans. Now, the Silberman uh, family was famous for making organs in Box, box Day. I did not know they were um, into making harpsichords, but this was uh, modeled after a historic instrument from the school of Gottfried 
Silverman from around 1735, which we believe is around the time that this music was actually composed, which is um, seemingly perfect, right? Um, it has an eight and a four foot um, stops on it. Um, so that, and it also has a lute and a harp stop for, for uh, di differing the sound quality. So uh, the, the harpsichord, and I, I mention this only because when you see harpsichords, uh, sometimes they're they're labeled in our, our in the booklets, and this one is produced by Anthony Sidi, S I D E Y, and Frederick Ball, uh, produced in 1995. Um, I I don't like to know who makes the harpsichords. I like to listen to them, and I do have a preference. And when I see these two gentlemen's names, um, I'm always impressed. I think they they do excellent work, and so. Again, this for for the historical uh, uh, timing of the instrument used and the makers who have made it, uh, it's worth checking out. And uh, so, yeah, I, I wanted to introduce you to, to maybe a harpsichord you weren't familiar with. Um, Musica Ficta is uh, Pavan Records. And again, it came out just this year, 2020. It's a fresh recording. Um, and so check that one out, Paulo Zanzu. So that's the first of the two gavats, um, some rather fun pieces with a lot of character. The, the themes that Bach chose there are um, definitely uh, things that are memorable. And the two sets, as you might imagine, in a minor suite, he takes and redoes the theme in the second gavat to be in the major mode, which is kind of fun. Um, it's not always that the pairs are so closely linked together. And so that's fun to see Bach's interpretation that way. This performance is of um, Masaki Suzuki, um, the leader of the Bach Collegium Japan. I also love the sound of his instruments. He's using uh, the same instrument that, or the maker of the same instrument that Tan Kutman prefers. Uh, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce it um, because I'm not proficient at Dutch. Uh, but the initials of the maker are WK. Um, and as a student of Tan Kutman, it's not surprising that Masaki Suzuki and even his son perform on these instruments, which I think are uh, quite delicious sounding. Uh, in particular, I think the Suzuki recording of the English Suites is uh, the, one of the things that stands out to me is the articulation, uh, that the variation in phrase, the space that he will inject into uh, the lines. Again, he is a student of Tan Kutman. That's not to say that they are uh, equals or that they are the same. Uh, obviously not the case, but um, 
there are moments in his performance of this suite that I think are worth your time. Uh, overall, not my favorite interpretation. Again, I'm going to go back to Pierre and Ty for that. But I want to introduce these two gavats because they are rather um, interesting pieces. And the tempo for this uh, pair from Suzuki, Suzuki is 4 minutes 11 seconds. And he takes them out, I'm saying, at a medium quick tempo. Um, there are faster interpretations out there. But I want to contrast that for those of you who like the piano because I'm going to next uh, give you a taste of what Glenn Gould did on the piano with this suite. And uh, love him or hate him, um, Glenn Gould, for me, uh, pushed the boundaries of box music in ways that um, sometimes really highlight uh, the themes and the it, it I just like his performances and I'm not going to say I like every one of them because I think in some cases Glenn Gould um, did some crazy things but that's why I think it is worth hearing Bach on the piano or any other instrument if we go to Wendy Carlos on the on the uh, synthesizer the reason to explore the music on different instruments is to uh, free the music from the constraints that Bach may have listened to it and to try and reproduce the sound of the harpsichord on a different kind of instrument be it the piano be it be it the marimba um, is is sort of missing an opportunity and so while the performance by Gould is very different from what we just heard from Mr. Suzuki uh, I nevertheless think it works and uh, it's going to put this piece you just heard in very different light. So enjoy. So Glenn Gould is interesting because he did his recording and lived, uh, if we consider around 1955 to 1981 as, as the uh, goalpost years for his recording career, um, he lived in the rise of historical performance. And so that very light touch, that, that aesthetic that he had at the piano was a direct um, reaction to the sound of a harpsichord without playing the harpsichord. And I just mentioned that we probably shouldn't do that. Yet the effect to me is interesting. And um, take it or leave it, that's that's the reaction. So I started with the second gavotte, the one that turns into major. And then there is a recap into the minor there to give you a sense of the flavor and the differences 
Um, but it really, to me, highlights that, that very interesting theme that Bach gives us. I'm going to give you a little taste of Glenn Gould with the jig. Again, pay attention to the trills and how he uh, does that. And then we'll end the podcast episode by looking at the prelude, which I said at the beginning is kind of interesting in that it's it's big, it's grand. And to me, it mimics the style of the seven toccatas that Bach left us for two hands. job with uh, many of the dances, including the gavats, which are very strange. And then his, his little appoggiaturas with uh, some of the chromatic notes are just almost schmaltzy, uh, strange to hear. Um, and historically are probably not very accurate. They nevertheless have character to them. The jig for me is, uh, I'm not sure Gould knew what to do with the jig. I don't think it's his most successful interpretation. Um, but Yet again, hearing it in that dry acoustic of one of his Steinways, I think uh, it reveals how kind of an interesting piece it is uh, by Bach standards. Uh, with those trills, I almost think it's Bach's version of the devil's trill. I, I used the word demonic earlier. Uh, it's, it's the minor tonality, but it's combined with some chromatic elements uh, that take a single line and then turn it into something with, a, with drive. And nothing drives things more than those persistent trills, which I just think um, Bach is showcasing one of the uh, quote-unquote special effects that you could do on a harpsichord, right? Uh, organs of the time had all kinds of special effects. You could have organs built with things like tremolo and with special stops that would have bells and things going off. And this was a composer's ability to highlight one of the so-called special effects of a harpsichord, obviously when they're built, as I just mentioned, you can have different kinds of stops put on. So if a piece of leather is placed over the strings, you have a very muted sound. Uh, there's also something called the harp stop. So you have these different um, flavor combinations that the builders of instruments were uh, trying to do to vary the dynamics and sound quality instrument to bring expressivity. But the composer has uh, a few tricks up their sleeves as well. And for me, Bach is really exploiting the idea of that, that long trill. And it's, it's not unique to this piece. He would do it in organ works as well. And it definitely raises um, your eyebrows. I mean, something's going on there. And uh, undercutting under or over those trills are uh, Bach's um, signature, the themes that he chooses that uh, are rhythmically and um, the leaps that he uses in them make them interesting themes. Um, 
Bach was an expert contrapuntalist. You hear it in this piece, and I think one of the reasons he is so good at it is he picks themes that are just interesting and memorable. So we're going to end the podcast by looking at the, the prelude. And the prelude opens um, slowly. Uh, it definitely has a French style. And then about a third of the way in, he sort of breaks out and goes into a fugal passage. And so I'm going to start with an example, again, from Glenn Gould, uh, where that cadence comes and we go into the fugal entry. And then I will close with another um, example from Pierre Hantai to give you my favorite version on the harpsichord.
instrument used by Pierre Antai is a reconstruction of a Michael Mitke um, harpsichord built at the turn of the 18th century in Berlin. It was originally constructed by William Dowd and updated in 1994 by Bruce Kennedy, another name that uh, of a great harpsichord builder, Bruce Kennedy. Um, this recording to me has a great sense of presence. Uh, I compare it to another um, French harpsichordist who I admire uh, by the name of Christophe Rousset. And while he uh, exudes a lot of confidence in his playing, I just found that the sound quality um, of the recording, and specifically, it's a wash in, it's, it's way too wet for me. Uh, it sounds like it was recorded in a, a large acoustic like a church. And uh, when we get to the faster passages in Bach, they all tend to uh, sort of wash together and the details lost. And what I like about this recording by Hantai, uh, beyond his interpretation, which I think is excellent, is the fact that the acoustic uh, is is wet enough not to sound like he's playing right next to us, but again, the detail is preserved in the voicing used. Uh, the instrument he uses obviously has multiple um, strings in it. You can hear the sparkle in the four-foot stop. So four-foot refers to a set of strings on the instrument that sounds an octave higher. That's obvious, uh, obviously heard in this example. Um, I love his energy. I love the sense at the beginning, and it really speaks when Bach inserts those trills. It is uh, thematically linked to the end of the suite where we heard those trills extended even uh, more so in the jig. And so it, it is cohesively a very, um, uh, it's a suite that really fits together th thematically. Uh, Bach in the prelude, at the slow part at least, gives us a sense of the, um, uh, the tonal center. Uh, we've got the tonic and dominant uh, chords emphasized, but it's not so much a, uh, it's, it's not going to be a French overture here. Instead, it's almost that Bach has written out the, um, the style brise, uh, brise uh, the idea that you warm up on a plucked instrument like a, a lute. And that was the, uh, the nod to the French clavinists who did things, and I'm looking at uh, like Louis Couperin, who wrote the uh, the free preludes where you were able to uh, sort of interpret uh, at the chordal level. There, everything wasn't written out per se, but the, the skeleton of chords were produced. Bach doesn't give us that freedom, but he that to me, that's his interpretation of that. And then it leads into this contrapuntal line that has... Um, uh, that's when your foot starts tapping and it carries through in the Allemande. Uh, the courant obviously is a faster dance. It, it's, it's a toe tapper for me. And we get this sort of uh, relaxed, uh, the, all that energy is relaxed by the time we get to the Cerebons. Uh, and he gives us an original Cerebon and then the double. We haven't listened to those in this, in this recording, but they're definitely worth checking out. Um, we get as almost a bonus these two, uh, for me, uh, unique pieces, the gavots that uh, carry the same theme in both minor and then major. Uh, 
and we heard some interpretive variation in that. We heard maybe some more traditional, historically informed performances on the harpsichord, and then we heard Glenn Gould, who kind of did his own thing, and to me, nevertheless, uh, in his hands was interesting. And then the final jig, uh, a very uh, demanding piece of music for a number of reasons. The speed, of course, that did not uh, deter all performers. Some folks probably um, put the pedal to the metal for that one, and that may not be your taste, or it may be, but I wanted you to hear the variation. And again, if I were to pick out one harpsichord version, for me, one of the strongest all around is Pierre Huntai, and I want to emphasize that in this recording. So you've been listening to episode 62 of BachCast, and if you're not familiar at all with Bach's English Suites. We started with the sixth one uh, in the key of D minor. It's interesting for a number of reasons. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, my name is John Hendren. You can read my reviews of classical and Baroque uh, recordings at bieberfan.org. That's B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening.